With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Day. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Um, not bad for a Tuesday. Not bad and for- I'm getting getting a chance to catch up on my manga and anime. So life is good. Uh, many happy returns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to see something in Japanese, but it was rude. Um, uh, you've been covering the women's volleyball team uh, uh, for the site, and um, it must have been a pleasurable experience because uh, the Oregon is on a real hot streak, um, and their last three matches they played at home. Um, so we've sent you off to watch them. Um, in fact, you've done some original reporting because I think a couple of those weren't really televised, uh, right? Right. Yeah, I found out at the last moment that the weekend's uh, matches against the Oregon schools were on Oregon's live. They were on Oregon live stream, um, oh. but I was there at the games. Yeah. Uh, fun team to watch, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, uh, this is a really good volleyball team, the likes of which uh, I don't recall having seen before. Um, uh, as we said, you know, before we started recording, you know, I, I had covered the 2012 uh, volleyball team that was a national champion runner-up. And they were a good team, but so far it seems like there's something special uh, about this team well they're they're 10 matches into i think a 26 match season um they finished the non-conference part of their schedule it, it went i think pretty well uh that you know they won their first two matches against uc davis and rice uh then they went out to the big tw- big 10 uh, and played in minneapolis and they lost to two ranked teams uh, minnesota and penn state um but ever since then they've uh they haven't 
they haven't lost a match and they barely lost a set. Um, they went to Coral Gables to play a couple of, uh, uh, to, to play a couple of East coast teams, South Carolina, Miami, and, and won both of those three to zero and then three to one. Um, and then they came back, uh, to the West coast. They started out conference play against Corvallis, uh, uh, or in Corvallis against Oregon state Won that one, three to one. And since then they haven't dropped a single set. Um, they swept, uh, all, all three of their matches at home, uh, last weekend or the, the weekend before last, uh, against number five Stanford, um, swept them at home. That was really impressive. Um, and then this weekend, uh, they swept, uh, both of the Arizona schools, Arizona state and, and Arizona, um, so, I mean, they've, you know, they, they've played six, uh, or they played four, uh, conference matches so far. They've only dropped a single set, you know, and that was on the road at, at Corvallis. Like this is, this team's real hot right now. They are. And, um, this, is a, a special team that benefits from, uh, not only, uh, having a, a solid veteran like, uh, Brooke Nunaviller who does everything. I mean, she started out uh, defensively uh, earlier in her Oregon career and um, now is not only an uh, excellent defensive player, uh, but she's regularly uh, one of the kill leaders. Uh, And Oregon benefits from having newcomers that have... Uh, an excellent combination of height and athleticism. And when you watch the Ducks on TV, uh, having the camera follow the ball really doesn't uh, do a a service to Oregon when when you see how fast these players are, um, see how they do kills and uh, go for defensive digs this is a really athletic team and they benefit um not only from having the inexperienced veteran like nuna villar but uh, mimi collier is uh, she just earned her fifth uh freshman of the week honors um only the fifth freshman in pac 12 history to earn those kind of honors and she's a a lot like Nenevillar um she she blocks well she has height she does uh um she has wicked kills um but she's also a great defender you know she'll be in regularly in double digits on digs and like Nenevillar uh, Coyer can deliver a backcourt kill like nobody's business. Yeah, you I put mean, a couple it, of uh, clips of that uh, in your article. Your article is a real pleasure to read. Um, it's it's still up on the site for anybody who missed it. Um, the, the the you know Oregon volleyball sweeps the state of Arizona. It is a comprehensive article. It includes a ton of Twitter video clips that are, that are really just amazing and super fun to watch. It includes a bunch of original photos that only appear um, in Addicted to Quack. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it, boy, it just really looked like a blast. Um, and, and you're right. Like some of those distance kill look really great. Um, I was also like, you know, the, the, the player who really caught my eye, we, we had talked earlier about Hannah Pukas, um, as you know, a real up and comer, uh, for the team, but the, the, mm-hmm. 
the player who really like caught my eye um, from reviewing your article was Gloria Mutieri. Um, yes. Boy, she's, she's incredible. Yeah. Um, she is. And uh, I would, I would like to get a speed gun on her kills because <laughs> she's got some serious velocity and she has the, this wicked kill that goes cross court. Yeah, she's on, on the right side. She'll hit a, a, a cross court um, kill just right on the other side of the net. And it's, it's extremely difficult to defend it, it's very fast, and what that creates is if you, if the uh, if you're defending that, then you're leaving a gap elsewhere, like behind the defender, and she'll go for that. But she's got some great velocity, uh, man. I uh, it's all I can do to resist um, getting a micrometer out there and measuring the circumference of the ball, because I know from the heat coming off that hit, uh, it has expanded. <laughs> uh, you, you also included a, a, a little, um, a video uh, in which they had an, an interview um, with Mutiri and, and that was real fun to listen to as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it just like it really strikes me that they're having fun too. Like that's the other thing that I sort of like get out of this team is that like they are. Um, I know this might sound corny or something like that, but like they like when they get a kill, they are really they're. It's not like this like cool professionalism, which is another which I do appreciate sometimes, but they're just like they are screaming and hugging each other. Like they like the, you know, and supporting each other. And it's like, yeah, that, I mean, that was really fun to see. And like, even though we've, you, you know, okay. Is there a star of this team? Cause we've just named like five different, you know, people, you know, right. the- well, well, that's, that's the thing is you're, you're not depending on just one or two people for your kill production. Kiari Roby, you know, mm-hmm. gets kills in there. Um, Kobe Neal, may have some of the fastest reactions that, that I ever seen. There was a couple of times where she did a block and, uh, instantly reacted. Um, well, no, she, she'd done a kill and, and it was blocked and she instantly reacted to the block, um, in, in a way that, you know, other players would just miss. One of them was, uh, um, went off court, but uh, the other reaction was a kill. I mean, it was boom, boom. It was that fast. The other thing that's interesting about this team is that it's very young, right? Like a lot of freshmen, you know, and like start, you know, like, you know, not just like the backbenchers or whatever, like the, 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 you know, it's a ton of production out of freshmen and like, they're going to be there for the long haul, you know, like you settle in Oregon fans, you're going to have a good volleyball team first for at least, you know, a couple of years. Um, And and this season's not even half over yet. So like, yeah, if you're, if you're not into volleyball yet, like get into it, like almost all these games are going to be televised. Um, You know, at least the next four uh, Washington state, Washington, uh, USC, UCLA uh, are all going to be on PAC 12 or ESPN. Um, It's a, it's real fast paced. 
Um, I actually find that I enjoy it more than watching the beach volleyball because like with only two players, there's the kills happen, you know, real quick in beach volleyball and you're like fighting the, the sand, which I, I guess is part of the point, but like the, the, the indoor volleyball, you know, it's five person teams. The rallies tend to go for a while. And like every time the ball crosses the net, it's like it ratchets up the excitement, you know, even more. It just feels like more and more frenetic. Um, you know, the, the announcers are really good. I know that you've been at the games, but I've been watching them at home. And like, I, I don't know who it is that they've got calling these games, but, but they're like super sharp and they're machine cutting out the calls. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, no, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, I, I, I'm chiefly into football. I, you know, I, I openly admit that. Uh, but in terms of like, and in many other sports, you know, sometimes I, I find my, myself nodding off a little bit because they're a little slower paced, right? You know, soccer takes forever. Baseball and softball famously take forever. Um, I prefer softball to baseball because it's only got seven innings and it's over quick. Volleyball is extremely fast. There's, you know, nobody's standing around. Nobody's like debating who's going to get the beach ball off of the court. You know, like it's, uh, it, it, you know, it is lightning fast. It is super exciting and Oregon's real good. So you should get into volleyball. That's my review. Uh, yeah. And they, and you're right there. Um, Oregon's been playing good teams and good teams defend well so so you get these incredible long rallies and you just wonder how it's going to uh come out and really i mean uh, oregon doesn't always win those rallies but to see that effort on on both sides is yeah just something to see the other thing that i'll i'll say you know for advertising the team then we'll wrap up is that uh is that almost all of their their matches they're they're you know they're paired and they uh you know so like you know they'll play the LA schools then they'll play the Arizona schools and they'll play the 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 Washington schools and they take place they they bookend football on Saturday so it's Friday then Sunday so like you can get your Oregon sports you know fall sports uh you know you get to watch you know, volleyball and then football and then volleyball again. And it's like, it's a nice bookend and uh, it, you know, works well with the schedule. I've been, you know, I I've been watching these volleyball games on Sunday while I, on the, my other, while I do my film study of the Oregon football game. And like, that's peanut butter and chocolate, man. They go together really well. Um, so I, I highly recommend the experience. Uh, if you're an NFL fan and you got two screens, put on an NFL game on one screen and volleyball on the other. It's, it's great. Yeah, and if you're in Eugene and have the time to see a volleyball game, it's not going to be a four-hour affair out of your time. And the tickets are really reasonable. There isn't a bad seat in the house. Well, the next uh, four matches, you know, this coming weekend and the weekend after that are going to be on the road. They got Washington State and then Washington um, in Pullman and then Seattle uh, this weekend on uh, uh, Friday the 7th and then Sunday the 9th. And then the next weekend, um, they're playing the L.A. schools in L.A., USC first and then UCLA on Sunday. Um, but then they're back in Eugene uh, in in uh, late October to take on the Mountain Schools, uh, Utah, then Colorado on the 21st and the 23rd. And uh, yeah, get it ticket uh go support the team it's uh, it's black yeah and on these uh next two road trips the next two weekends 
um, we're going to get a, a sense of what kind of road warriors this team is because it's really easy to get uh, charged up in a, a friendly environment with uh, a loud crowd. And uh, in Matthew Knight Arena, um, there's always a, a vocal crowd for volleyball. You get into some of these other places like Pullman and uh, a not friendly crowd and you know, the the emotions can play differently. So it, mm. it'll be interesting to see how this volleyball squad uh, rises up to the challenge of being on the road. Uh, well, if we talked you into uh, becoming a volleyball fan listener, um, there the best primer that you can do is to to read Badwater's most recent article. Uh, the The volleyball team sweeps the Arizona schools because it re- it really walks you through the team and who the stars are. Lots of great clips um, to to sort of show you how the the team plays. Um, and uh, it was just a fantastic article. I, I I can't praise it highly enough. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, football's win over Stanford. Uh, so, kind of got the monkey off the back, wouldn't you say? Yep. Yeah, uh, two monkeys. Yeah, because yeah, we can't forget Wazoo. Um, Pullman's always a, a tough place to play, and Stanford always, uh, in the past anyway, has seem to find a way to stick it to us and that will certainly did not no, happen you know, just objectively like wazoo is a much less talented team and yet you know playing in pullman is always like weirdly scary uh and stanford i mean it's been a terrible team since like 2018 and yet you know they beat the ducks twice you know in in, in that time including uh you know their oregon's most recent loss in Autzen stadium um so, you know, so it's like, yeah, you know, that one felt pretty good. Although, you know, having done the film study on Stanford, this one was even more predictable of a win than in previous years. That team is, oh my God, it's, it's real bad right now. <laughs> it's, they're in real trouble. Yeah. yeah and, um, uh, if you read the Stanford Q and a, um, channel three sports, uh, does shed a little bit of light on what's going on. You know, Stanford is kind of behind the eight ball um, and not of their own doing, um, but, you know, the entrance requirements to get into Stanford and get a degree mm-hmm. are super high. And, they also suffer from not really having the NIL backing mm-hmm. that uh, other schools like USC or Washington or, or Oregon are going to have. Yeah, I, I think the NIL thing is this, the least of their problems. I mean, hell, like going to Stanford is kind of, a, you know, having a Stanford degree is kind of a license to print money. Um, yeah. Uh, the, but like early signing day really screwed them. Um you know, because it, it took away their ability to sort of swoop in and and give a Stanford offer, which is how they stole a bunch of recruits over the years. Um, it means they can't really take transfers and their grad school has been messing with them and not like guaranteeing, uh, you know, players a fifth year in school. Um, and like these are all like roadblocks that um, 
like I do still ultimately blame the Stanford administration for, for this, these situations, because these were not insurmountable problems. If they had a cooperative administration who like really wanted football to be successful. Um, but you know, they haven't really cleared out those roadblocks, um, you know, probably because that's not the case. And the other piece of evidence that the administration is not really serious about football is that David Shaw should have had a fire lit under his ass a long time ago. Like this slide would be unacceptable at any other school, um, not just in the Pac-12, but across the country. Like any other school would have fired David Shaw after this um, a-, a while ago, um, or at the very least, like you know, point blank told them you need to, you know, fire this crew of assistant coaches who are all dead weight at this point. And, you know, um, cause that's the only thing that's going to save your job right now. But like Stanford hasn't made a single change in their coaching. And they're, they're one of, I believe only five FBS teams who did not change their coaching staff at all this, you know, last off season. Um, yeah, you're, they're kind of in a, a hole of their own digging. Yep. They, they created it. So, you know, uh, sorry you jumped in without a rope, but uh, there yeah, you are. And, and it's like you know, and, and then I can tell you from doing film. I mean, it was really interesting doing film study on them because like they swiped Wake Forest's offense, and usually when you switch, you know, offensive schemes, it's because you hired somebody from that staff to bring it over you know not david shaw he just watched a bunch of tv and copied their you know system by watching it you know monkey see monkey do you know kind of you know deal uh and like uh, and it's not i mean it's like I, you know, Wake Forest has done a, you know, fairly well with it, but like Wake Forest has some advantages that Stanford doesn't like their offensive line can hold up long enough for the slow mesh to work. And that's, it's, you know, somebody in comment in the comments of my article, um, uh, I think it, it might've been Tristan, um, uh, uh, you know, made, made the comment that, uh, like this was a system that, like if they were going to change systems, it's like they changed it based on what they think their school is good at rather than what they are actually good at. Um, yeah, rather rather than, than set up something that fits the personnel that you have. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it, yeah, it was Tristan. I found the comment is, is re- actually Tristan was a really insightful comment that he's got in the middle of, of that comment section. Um, Yeah, it's like, you know, okay, dude, you're changing your offense because you know your offensive line can't run block anymore. So you picked a system that is also super demanding of your offensive line, you know, because they have to hold up for this super slow mesh. Like, what are you doing, dude? And on top of that, like what their offense is really good at, where they do actually have some real actual scary talent is these super big undefendable wide receivers running down the sideline in one-on-one coverage because you can't one-on-one cover them because they're so huge and they'll box you out. But then they adopted a route tree that doesn't have them doing that. It has them running, you know, slants in the middle of the field in which you can use underneath coverage and and other things in order to defend them. And on top of that, you built a bunch of keys into your system so that if you have a smart, you know, defensive mind, uh, they can crack those keys and force the defense can force the offense to do what the defense wants. And like Stanford's real good rule followers, they're not going to br- break the rules, you know? And so that was the thing that was, you know, totally remarkable. Like I got to do two games worth of film study on this team, um, which was s- sort of weird going into week five game because they had a buy. And then also in their opener against FCS Colgate, they didn't run this offense. They sprang it on USC in week two, um, which was, you know, crazy. Um, 
neither USC nor Washington really, I mean, they defeated Stanford, but neither of them really cracked the code on this. And so I'm sitting there watching those two games. And like, I, what, what I wrote in my film study preview of the team um, was that, okay, I figured out how you beat this offense. It's not that difficult, not really, but what you do is you basically always induce them to run, you know, and, and so basically you, you back out your defenders so that they run the ball and then you trust your line in order to stop that run. And given that Stanford's offensive line is no good, that shouldn't be that difficult. But like, I wasn't, I, here's the other piece of data, which is that like wake forest, you know, which originated this offense. It's actually, um, so contrary, I think to a lot of people's or fans beliefs about coaches, they are usually very, very open with each other about like, what are they running? What are they doing? Even with opponents, even with guys who are on their schedule, if you just ask them like, so what, you know, problems have you encountered installing this offense? They're usually there. It's like a fraternity of coaches and they really talk to each other and they like nerding out and they go on, on coaches clinics and will like video record themselves teaching all coaches around the country and anybody who wants to pay for it. Like, here's how we run our offense and here's what all our keys are and or here's our defense and here's the rat in the hole. You know, Saban has this whole thing about the rat in the hole defense, which is just like mind blowing. It's like, here, I'm going to teach you how to run a national championship level defense with all the details that you could possibly want. And you just have to pay like $19 to get access to all this tape. It was just like crazy how much these guys share, except Wake Forest. Wake Forest has not gone on the coaches circuit. And when people ask them, what are the keys, you know, to your offense, there's, I'm not going to tell you, um, which that's interesting. So anyway, David Shaw then, you know, watches it on television and, uh, and copies it. And then, uh, and then coach Lanning and, and the rest of his staff, uh, you know, watch those two games in me. I, I'm not on staff, but I was doing an independent project. <laughs> I, I, because wake forest won't tell you. And Dan Lanning wouldn't tell me. And David Shaw wouldn't tell me. Um, and certainly not the commentators on television. Cause Oh boy, uh, they're, they, they couldn't possibly know. So uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure it out. I, two games was probably not enough for me. I think maybe if I had a few more games, I might be able to figure it out, but I'm just like, I'm not a professional. Sorry. I'm an amateur and I'm an idiot. Um, so basically I said, okay, I, I can't figure out who the individual player is that's getting red, but I know that it's one of these four guys. So you should just back out all four of them, you know, back up both of the linebackers and both of the safeties. And, and then you're definitely going to get a run and you can trust your four you know, defensive lineman or three defensive lineman plus OLB to, to stop this run. And Lanning was like, oh, I'll do you one better. I'll run that strategy, right? That was exactly what they did. They induced Stanford to run every single time, except one where I think Steven screws up and comes up on the run. Um, and sure enough, Stanford hits an RPO slant right over him, um, which like, that's what they want to do. Then don't do that, Steve. So anyway, um, Every single time, except for that one in the first half, they induced Stanford to run. And that's why Stanford has like no passing numbers in this game, or at least in the first half. That's why Oregon's forcing them to run every time. And, and then, but here's the thing. Lanning was like, I'll figure out exactly who the individual player is. You know, it's going to be Hill on this play and it's going to be Bassa on this play. And it's going to be this guy on this other play and this guy on this other play. And so that dude will back out to induce the run, but all the other available dudes will have them crash down on the run. And so like Stanford's lousy offensive line is trying now trying to block like seven dudes, <laughs> which they yeah. can't, you know, possibly do. And I was just like, I, I mean, it was, it, it, 
it was simultaneously really gratifying to have like successfully identified what the winning strategy was going to be like in general terms, but also like super cool to watch a professional at work who's like, yeah, I, I'm this much better than you uh, that I can identify who the actual individual kid is going to be. Um, right. And it was self-defeating for Stanford. Because oh, definitely. The, the only, the only way Stanford was ever going to be able to keep up with Oregon was if they could establish a passing game with some explosive yep. passing plays and that never happened. Yeah. And, and I mean, McKee is a really good quarterback. I think like, I, I think that he's an NFL ready quarterback to be perfectly honest, or at least when it's time for him to go to the NFL, he will be of all of the current Pac-12 quarterbacks. I think he will be the most desirable one for what the NFL wants out of quarterbacks. I, I know that sentence was fairly complicated, but like, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good pocket passer. Um, and he's got all the measurables and he's really tall and he's really decisive and he throws a very tight, very nice spiral. Um, but like Stanford's offensive current offensive structure won't let him do that. And Stanford's current offensive line will give him a clean pocket. And it's not like he's a scrambler. He's a real statue. Um, and so like his numbers this year are going to suck. And then he's going to get drafted in like the first or second round. And people are going to say, what, why? And I'll, I'll be like, I know, um, uh, um, but yeah, you, you were absolutely right. That's how Stanford, if Stanford was going to win the game, that's how they were going to win it. And, and Oregon gave them no opportunity to do so, which sort of feels like a, it, it sort of feels like a Y2K thing. Like, uh, I hope that our listeners are old enough to remember that. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe they were born after Y2K, but like, you know, everybody freaked out about Y2K and then you know, all the programmers did something about it so that Y2K was no big deal. And then there were some like, you know, wise guys who were like, oh, look at you silly goofballs who were freaking out about it, you know, even though it was no big deal. It's like, it was no big deal because they freaked out about it, you know? And, and so like, you know, I feel like this game was like that. It was like Oregon properly freaked out about the possibility of Stanford passing the ball and so didn't let them do it. And so the final box score looks like Stanford can't pass the ball very well, but boy, I'm here to tell you they can if they, if Oregon's defense didn't play him right they could have taken Oregon apart with their passing game because McKee's really good and they've got a bunch of undefendable wide receivers but Oregon's defensive you know th those guys are sharp they they knew what they were doing and they kept Stanford from being able to do that so yay yeah and when Stanford could generate offense um they were playing against our backups and the game was out of hand yeah right you know all, all the second half. I mean uh, the second half was all garbage time yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm putting it on the pile. I, hopefully Oregon will put a couple of other teams in garbage time. So, um, I'll have a nice big pile in the off season to go through of all, you know, that whole garbage tape to look at. Well, cause you know, looking at the backups is useful. Like, you know, this year's backups from next year's starters, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so like having that, that project to go through, you know, that was one of the things about the Mario Cristobal era, even though I think I'm probably, I'm, uh, yeah. a, a lot of people, a lot of Oregon fans, and I understand why, are you know real mad at Mario Cristobal, and I think sort of are letting their their feelings about the way that the Mario Cristobal era ended, you know, bleed sort of retroactively color the way that they perceived his his entire time at Oregon, and are like, this was an entirely garbage, and I'm like, you know, yeah, like. <laughs> It was clearly not entirely garbage. Like, look at the records. It's obviously yeah. not. Yeah, you know, he 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 won games and um, he built on uh, Taggart's recruiting sure. and took re recruiting to a new level. But know, such the, that, but such that Lanning 
wasn't starting at yes. square one. Yeah, definitely. If you like talent. the way that this season is going, you know, thank Dan Lanning, but also thank Mario Cristobal because he's the guy who set this up, set up all this talent. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that wasn't the, po- the the point of this was not to praise Mario Cristobal. It was to say, even though I'm a person who I feel like is m- more rational than than many um, in assessing the the strengths of the Mario Cristobal era. Um, there's one area that really frustrated me, which is that that dude was not blowing people out and like, and not just because, and not necessarily, I think because he couldn't, but because he was deliberately adopting strategies that were like, I'm going to maximize my chance of winning, even though it reduces the, you know, giant margin of victory. It means that we're playing our starters all the way through to the fourth quarter. Um, so in the Mario Cristobal era, I never accumulated a big mountain of garbage time tape to look at in the off season. I, you know, I got a little bit here and there, but it was like against Nevada or or whatever like i'm getting garbage time tape against teams like byu and stanford and you know folks who recruit you know actual athletes and when they kill still have their starters out on the field in the fourth quarter playing against oregon's backups like that's useful tape like of course the starters for the 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 opponent against the oregon backups are going to do well that's why you call it garbage time and you exclude it from the data but in terms of like testing you know where they're at athletically and developmentally like Ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that project and I'm looking forward to having a big pile of that film, you know, to go through. Yeah. And, um, uh, as is evidenced by the, the comments on the addicted to quack, uh, website and also one's own eyes, uh, the calls for Ty Thompson coming into the game have significantly quieted down. Because he's kind of demonstrated um, why he's uh, not the number one. I mean, but the most I can I haven't done any film study on it, you know, like I because it's garbage time. I'm like I said, I'm saving it. But like it, Mm -hmm. it's certainly true. I can say from watching casually that like while he's been in Oregon's offense has not moved the ball, and uh, you know it's hard not to draw you know the line between those two facts. Yeah. And, um, but that's, uh, you know, him being in, in the game is not a bad thing. One presumes that Dillingham is, is instructing him and developing him. And, you know, he's getting an opportunity to make mistakes and, sure. uh, learn from that. Yeah, and, making you know, mistakes during live game reps against power five caliber, you know, starters, um yeah i can't imagine anything not, more valuable impact, and not impact the w yeah exactly they they didn't even it didn't even impact you know covering the spread so yep. yeah you know um the the uh, if ty thompson is gonna work out i guess i'll put it this way if in a year's time or 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 longer you know we're watching ty thompson kick butt you can think back to right right now and say, exactly. "Okay, I'm I'm glad that that, that they made that decision," um, yep. or it may never happen, and they learn that you know Thompson is not ever going to do that, and they move on to to Butterfield or Dante Moore's true freshman or something else. You know, like either way, it's valuable. You know, and you don't get any value out of that if you're not putting teams into garbage time and you're not putting teams into garbage time unless you know you are doing all the things in the first half to make that happen which they've been yep. doing so yeah yep. uh, the other um thing that's been really impressive about oregon um in the last 
well, basically every game, including against Georgia, um, is that uh, the rushing offense is just unstoppable. Um, you know, you combine a really good, really veteran offensive line, um, a, you know, a scheme that is, you know, uses them, uh, well, you know, which is creative and isn't just, you know, I formation runs 300 times. Um, and with, you know, some very good running backs, you know, who are, you know, making cuts and making guys miss. And, you know, if the hole's not there, you know, they bounce outside, um, like, right, and they're showing some patience. Both Irving and Whittingham um, aren't. Yeah, sorry, Whittington um, aren't just running into the backs of their blockers. Uh, Irving, especially on uh, a few plays, you know, shows a lot of patience in letting his blockers uh, develop a gap, or yeah. you know, to make a decision whether to make a cut because yeah. in front of me ain't working and and they're really eager to bounce it outside which actually part of me is a film reviewer who really just wants to see the play executed properly um like i'm sort of like mm, i don't i i i want to see you run through the gap that was supposed to be there but then he gets like 20 yards and i'm like all right i'll always forget it. Uh, <laughs> you know um, oh, i guess i'll accept that yeah right um but uh yeah no uh, they're they're very they're, they're very good backs um and you know and so oregon has been recording well here i uh, uh i I plan on um, during the bye week, which is coming up after they play Arizona. Um, I plan on uh, publishing an article that's a mid season, you know, like let's look at all the stats to date. Um, and, uh, but here's what I've got through, through week five, um, through week five, all games inclusive. So that, you know, including, you know, uh, Georgia also including, um, Eastern Washington, although th these numbers don't really change there. There's really only one thing that changes if you, and that's, uh, Oregon's, um, uh, uh, Oregon's, uh, uh, defensive numbers look a lot better if you exclude Georgia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, but anyway, uh, the um, uh, 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 Oregon's uh, offensive rush efficiency, including all games, um, but again, doesn't really change no matter who you exclude. Uh, but all games is sixty-seven percent, like on the nose. It's it's seventy-seven to th seventy-seven wins to thirty-eight fails, um, which like that's sixty percent is championship caliber. Fifty percent is. Uh, you know, is average. So it's a 10 point gap between, you know, average and championship. And they're seven points higher than that. Um, that's, I mean, that's incredible. Um, yep. And, uh, and, you know, the, the, the opening line in my, my film review article of Stanford is that there's this old football truism that if you can run the ball effectively, the rest of the game is irrelevant, you know, because you can play defense through your running game and you can, you know, make up for a sputtering pass offense through your running game, or you can make your pass offense better through your running game by setting up play action. Um, and, you know, you can control the ball, you can sit on a lead, you can prevent your, the, the opponent from, you know, from getting the ball and executing their offense, except, you know, in a really sort of desperate, you know, low time manner. Um, like if you can run the ball, like it's 67% clip or higher, you know, like, uh, you know, excluding Georgia, it's, it's even higher. It's 69.3. Um, like, uh, uh, you know, if you can run the ball at that clip and, and it sort of looks like Oregon's going to be able to for the rest of the season, um, 
it's really hard to lose a game. You know, for the opponent to beat you, they've their their window to do so is becomes very small and they basically have to play perfectly and they basically need to get, you know, all their lucky bounces need to go their way, which like I don't know, I reviewed the wazoo tape and uh you know, that that's sort of what that looks like, you know, like that, that, that game is what a team that on the fundamentals is killing their opponent, but then on all the wacky stuff, like when the refs decide to throw flags and when they decide not to, you know, trick <laughs> plays, uh, you know, weird red zone decisions, like, um, that's what that looks like. Um, and, and Oregon still prevailed, uh, you know, and prevailed because Wazoo couldn't, uh, you know, among other reasons, because, you know, Wazoo couldn't stop the run and neither could Stanford. And even though Oregon in this game against Stanford only had a 50 50 pass efficiency, um, you know, like uh, for, you know, there were some drops and Nick's, you know, forced a couple of passes and, you know, it was just sort of like yeah, they, got, they, got really lucky because they're two of that's them true interceptions i mean that that is but. definitely true it's the number one remaining concern that i have about this team is is nix is like keeps putting the ball in danger um you know on a, you know not not every pass not even you know most passes or but it's you know once a game he puts the ball in danger um you know and and sometimes you get that gets picks off and that can be game changer um yeah, you know, it's it's definitely my number one remaining concern about the team. But you know that aside, having a you know they ran at eighty percent efficiency, they passed at fifty percent efficiency. They the game was over at halftime at thirty one to three. That's the importance of running the ball. Yep. Yes, indeed. And um, uh, running it well, and not the way uh, uh, Cristobal ran the ball, which I, I think delights a lot of Oregon fans. Yeah, I um I, I think well the the one thing that's definitely different about the two is well I, I don't know if it's Cristobal or not. I actually think it's the backs more than it is Cristobal and but just those things coincide, right? Like Cristobal had two backs for basically his entire time at Oregon who were die in Verdell. And I can tell you from doing film study on those guys it took them until their last year at Oregon to develop the vision and patience to do what Whittington and Irving are doing right now. Um, now Oregon got both of those guys as transfers, you know, they, yep. they, they also come to, to Oregon later in their careers. Um, I think that Carlos Lachlan is a really good running backs coach. I don't know if he's a better running backs coach than, um, than, uh, uh, uh um, Jim Mastro, uh, was for Oregon under Cristobal. Um, I, you know, I don't know if Mastro was unable to teach vision and patience to Verdell and die, or if those guys were just like needed more time to pick it up. Um, I, 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 I just honestly don't know. There's too many variables for me to like pin down and say, aha. Um, but if you wanted to say this running offense is more fun to watch than the Cristobal era running offense and, 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 you know, but who knows what the causality is? Uh, sure. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's the case. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm just a little, you know, leery of establishing causality because, you know, that, yeah, like I said, there's too many variables, but like, yeah, it's definitely fun to watch those guys run. Um, and, and, yeah, and Oregon, the, Oregon the other upshot of that, or Oregon fans aren't going to care. They're, they're just, yeah, it, it's just, it's more fun to watch. They, they're, I know. they're, 
not really going to care about causality. But um, I mean, Oregon, I, I mean, it, it, honestly, a lot of it is just really the offensive line, which is another thing you should thank Mario Cristobal, you know, era for. Uh, I guess I'm the Cristobal apologist. I don't I don't really don't want to be pigeonholed in that way. Um, but like, I mean, Oregon last year was running at a, about a 75. You know, I think they 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 finished the season on like 71 percent rush efficiency. And that's with, you know, three of the last four games looking really ugly. Um you know, so like the fact that that's carried over to this year is like not really a surprise because, you know, okay, the running backs coach is different. The running backs are all different, but the coaching staff is all different. Uh, that, you know, the offense and the offensive coordinator is different, but you know, what's not different. The offensive line, the lines, yeah, because the line yeah. is what makes the yeah. run game. Yeah. Big experienced bodies there in yeah. depth. Um, all right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, look a little ways forward to the Arizona football matchup. So, Badwater, have you uh, watched any of Arizona football this year? Uh, I have not. Um, uh, I've, I've watched um, most of the other Pac-12 teams. I, I haven't uh, watched any... Arizona or Arizona State. I've hmm. watched the the Huskies. Uh, uh, watched part of the Cal game. Uh, USC and the Beavers, of course. You know UCLA. Um, but I have not watched Arizona yet. I know that our sister site, Arizona Desert Swarm, uh, contacted you, and you're going to be exchanging a Q and A with them. Yes. Um, you want to give us a little sneak preview? Well. Um, the, the kind of questions that, uh, I asked Desert Swarm, uh, mostly had to do with, um, how they think they're, uh, going to be looking at success or progress this mm-hmm. year we're we're in the because it's in, a team uh, coming off of a one and 11 season you know right and, yeah and it's um it's fishes yeah jed fishes second season they're they're coming up in to a real pac-12 gauntlet oh yeah they um, sure are we're, we're we're the first of a string of um you know teams that they're gonna have trouble defeating you know, Washington and Utah and UCLA and now it was zoo and us. And yeah, I, I mean, so, they get Arizona state at the end of the year, of course, in the territorial cup. And like now that Arizona state is like a headless horseman, you know, they're probably licking their chops at some revenge, you know, against the sun devils for that game. But like, other than that, they probably got their two most winnable, you know, games at the very beginning of their, you know, conference play in Cal and Colorado. And they split yeah. them, you know, Cal beat them. Um, and, and yeah, as you say, you know, their next, their, it's the, I mean, everybody else on their schedule, I mean, it's an, it's kind of a nightmare for them. Um, you know, the, cause it's, it's Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, UCLA, Washington state. Like, I don't want to play those teams if I'm Arizona. Right. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, I'll be interested in seeing, uh, what Desert Swarm has to say about, you know, how do you measure progress um, or any kind of success when you're probably looking at 
six losses. Come you know, on. yeah. I mean, it's just sort of brutal. Um, you know, they don't play Stanford out of the North. Um, I think Oregon State's the other team that they miss, which like, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to think about Oregon State yet. It's the last team of the year for Oregon, and um, and I haven't done any film study on them yet. It just hasn't like come up in the in the course of like watching other teams that I'm getting ready for. So, um, although I, I think I have to do, they just played Utah, and Oregon's playing Utah in the near future. So you know that one's coming up. But like, uh, um. I'm not sure what to think about Oregon State, whether that was potentially a winnable game for Arizona, but irrelevant. They're not playing them, um, you know, and they don't play Stanford. Yeah. And that probably, you know, might have been a winnable game. They lost against Cal, and I, I have done film study on that. I've done, I've done film study on all five of their the, their games that they played. They opened against uh, San Diego State. You know who San Diego State's starting quarterback is, Badwater? I don't. It is one Braxton Burmeister. Oh, I recognize that name. Somehow he still has eligibility. <laughs> he has he has been a starting quarterback now at three different schools. Um, well, I, and I I have noticed that San Diego State is um, so far not having quite the season that they had hoped for. Uh, no, Merce um, Meister hasn't become a better quarterback. Uh, he really hasn't. <laughs> In fact, it's actually it's kind of it's interesting. Um, you don't see this very often it's one of the things that's interesting about doing film like charting teams is that they generally when it comes to their you know efficiency in all four quadrants of football so you know rush offense pass offense rush defense pass defense generally for every team against every opponent with obviously some exceptions like you know you're playing an FCS team or you're playing, you know, the, the, you know, the number one team in America, like then you'll get some distortion to the numbers. But generally if you're playing, you know, anybody from number 10 to number, you know, a hundred, you know, the, the vast mushy middle of college football, um, your efficiency numbers don't really change. Um, but Arizona has sort of been an exception in their past defense, um, against Mississippi state, North Dakota state and Cal, their past defense is about 43%, you know, meaning the opponent is succeeding on 57% of their, you know, their, their design passing plays, um, against San Diego state and Colorado, their past defense jumps to like 63%, um, which like, that's a big swing, you know, like that's, yeah. that it's really big, you know, like a 16 point swing, which is crazy. Um, and I mean, the reason is because San Diego State, it's Braxton Mermeister in Colorado. It's Owen McCown, um, who's a true freshman making his second start on a staff that just got fired, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay, man. So like their pass efficiency comes out, or pass defense efficiency comes out to 50%, but it's because they have three bad games and two good games, um, not because they are a perfectly average team. I think they are actually a pretty bad pass defense that's just played two even worse quarterbacks. Um, um, right. And then their rush defense is terrible. Like, it's just, I mean, this is, you know, Arizona is going to wind up looking like a bunch of teams that Oregon plays where like their rush defense is terrible. Their pass defense is as good as the quarterback um, plays them is bad. Um, their offense, you know, they're not really effective running the ball, um, but they do have a, a real scrambly quarterback who can make magic happen. And like that, I mean, honestly, that describes like six teams that Oregon is going to play. Um. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned that in your uh, Stanford film recap that, you know, uh, Stanford's rush defense wasn't 
uh, terribly great. But no, there's Colorado's or Arizona's. Yeah. yeah, Arizona and Colorado both like in their raw stats anyway are um they're they're even worse than Stanford. Arizona actually grades out better in advanced stats against the run than um than Stanford does, but not by a whole lot. And that's almost entirely because Stanford was like abysmally bad at like twenty-five percent. Um, whereas Arizona is thirty-six percent, which is better, but it's below you know, so like average is fifty percent, and then like one standard deviation down is forty percent, and another standard deviation up is sixty percent. So if you're below forty percent, that means you are now more than one standard deviation worse than average, which means you're real, real bad. You know, so Stanford being like two and a half Stanford devi or standard deviations, you know, from average that indicates like, oh my God, you know, and, but you know, in Arizona is only one and a half. So like, but that's still pretty, oh my God, you know, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I cut the, the hint of, of what you were alluding to, which is that, uh, we're going to see, uh, an Oregon offense that leans again, on its successful running game. Yeah. I mean, if the, if the scariest thing about your opponent is, you know, what the quarterback can do in the passy slash scrambly slash, I'm going to make some weird stuff happen game. Then the best way to guarantee a win is to keep the, the ball out of the opposing quarterback's hands. And what's the best way to do that? Ball control, run the ball. Run yep. the ball. I mean, if you can run the ball, I mean, the reason why I referenced that truism about, you know, running the ball means that the rest of the game is relevant is because running the ball, you know, is an answer to any problem that you have in football. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you need to eat clock, run the ball. It's third and long, run the ball twice. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, your, your, your pass offense, not what it needs to be, you know, run the ball. Uh, it doesn't matter what your problem is. The answer is run the ball. Um, and nobody can stop Oregon running the ball. So like, yeah, you know, yeah, Ducks fans, you know, get used to this. Like I, you're going to see it. Uh, you're going to see it until they play a team that can't stop the run, which like maybe they don't play that team ever. Um, but if they do, it's not going to be until like mid November. So run the ball. You're going to see it a lot. Yeah. And isn't it nice? They've got like five running backs, you know, so that, so that yeah. like, you know, that each of them can remain fresh or somebody can take a week or two off to, to get over a little nagging injury. Like, you know, in that complaint that Oregon Ducks fans had, was, oh, this running back room is too big. I don't like it, man. Why do they have so many running backs? So like, doesn't that seem real dumb right now? Like, yeah. well, they, they, they have a, a deep running back room. And, you know, uh, all five of the main running backs are capable of doing something. Yeah. They're I mean, how capable of going out and getting some yards. I, I don't see a weak, weak link there, really. So, so Sean Dollars in this game only got a couple of touches, but <laughs> they're hilarious to me. Um, he gets, you know, like I said, I, I didn't have a whole lot of clips to choose from for a uh, pass offense success. But Sean Dollars has two catches in the flats back to back that actually illustrated a nice, you know, change up where he gets split out as a receiver. One play, he's in the slot and runs a switch route against man, which like you definitely want to run switch against man. It creates sort of a natural rub and he catches the ball for like six yards. And then the next play, second and four, he lines up not in the slot, but as the X and Stanford backs out to zone. But they're like, Sean Dollars can run real fast. I better bail deep. And so he just runs 
six yards, catches the, the flat pass, you know, gets another couple extra, you know, it's like eight yards and a first down, you know, it's like, yeah, that that's how you're supposed to use, you know, like that's create, you know, using the running back as a wide receiver, playing him different versus, you know, whether the, the defense is in zone versus man, you know, picking up free access throws to the sideline, which Stanford's film indicated that their covered shells almost always leave open. Just like, yeah, you know, he gets two passes and both of them are, are, are pretty damn good gains. And then he gets like uh, basically one run in the, uh, in the first half it's third and 21 this is the play that comes after the penalty for seven mcgee fighting which that was weird um so it's it's third thing was weird yeah it's it's third and 21 on i think uh, the the stanford 22 um and uh, and so stanford is backed out to play the pass because like why wouldn't they on third and 21 and sean dollars gets the ball and uh he runs for 20 yards now if you get 20 yards on third and 21, that's a failed play, right? You didn't convert the third down. And so I included it in my article is like, here's one of the few failed running plays. It's when Sean dollars who didn't get that many touches runs for 20 yards. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, for the past uh, few games, uh, anyway, uh, Oregon's been outstanding on fourth down conversions yeah yeah Yeah, um they they get the conversions and they're not afraid to to do it yeah um, which means previous incarnations would have been which which means that your third down play calling is liberated right like is it third and long run the ball all set up fourth and four maybe I'll run the ball again. You know, like you, you, you ain't going to stop Oregon's run game two plays in a row. It's not with these numbers. So like, go ahead and and run it twice, you know, on third, third, then fourth down. Now in this particular uh, instance, even though it was going to be fourth and one, and they might've had to make a decision. First of all, there was no decision to make. If you're on the two yard line, you, you go for it. Like that's ridiculous to, to try to kick a field goal. You know, that's so stupid. Like the analytics will scream and blink red at you if you kick a field goal when you're on fourth and you know in two yards to the goal line um but second of all uh stanford got an unsportsmanlike conduct <laughs> on that one where uh, where the safety who transferred from oklahoma is real mad at the umpire for 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 picking him during the play which like i kind of understood the umpire kept getting in his way <laughs> it was funny watching him like jump up and down like a cartoon character screaming <laughs> you know, about that. Yet, yet no, I mean, these, these rests were fairly flag happy, you know, like a lot of things they called on Oregon were appropriate. Um, and yes. I've heard a rumor that Stanford was using uh, disconcerting signals and that's why Oregon had so many false starts, um, which I can't verify, but like, but you know, nonetheless, but what I can verify from watching the film was, yes, that was definitely a false start. You know, the, the rest didn't imagine that. Um, and, you know, a couple others too, but then a bunch of others. Yeah, were just- the, the end sportsman, like, um, where, um, we tossed, uh, the football yeah. at the, oh, it was so player. stupid. It was Accidentally, so Accidentally or not, that's going to get you the flag. It just yeah, but it was so clear that it was an accident, you know, like, yeah. and it was that totally within the ref's discretion, to recognize that that's an accident and not throw the flag. And yet they did, you know, and against the Stanford and the, the, the play that I just mentioned, it's within his discretion to tell the kid to shut up and, and get back and play defense yeah. and not throw the flag, but they wanted to throw the flag. Um, yeah. And there, there was uh, at least one other instance where uh, Oregon kind of dodged a, 
uh, an unsportsmanlike um, bullet. I'm thinking specifically about where um, Christian Gonzalez does a great defensive deflection right in front of the Stanford sideline, sits down, crosses his arm, and glares at yeah, I was sort players of... a few feet, a few feet away from him. Yeah, I was. I'm sorry yeah, that didn't I, get a flag. I was thinking the same thing. Um, yeah, although the, the fighting one about Seven McGee, I I was actually curious about that one. And I watched the tape closely, and yeah, he actually did does earn that. He smacks a kid's helmet, um, and. And, and he's he's the first guy who throws a smack too. So like yeah, yeah. Uh, but it should be off, it should be offsetting because Stanford has Bo mm-hmm. Nix's helmet and they yes. toss it. Yeah, and you know, there, there yeah. Have been uh, listen, we, we can we can litigate the penalties all day long. I, I think it sort of suffices yeah. to say that the this crew of referees on many discretionary plays they always or almost always chose to throw the flag on somebody and that that uh, like it was very clear that that had sort of a disruptive effect on the momentum of the game um you know that there were so many flags thrown um you know like teams sort of i know this sort of sounds a little wishy-washy and, and, and but like it's real you know teams thrive on momentum you know, like they, 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 they sequence plays, you know, they use tempo and like when the, the rest are, are constantly interrupting the game, uh, you know, whether valid or not is, is that's irrelevant to my point. My point is that like when there's a lot of laundry on the field, your momentum sort of gets disrupted and that can have an effect on the game. And I think it did, you know, affect this game. Yeah. And um, before we get to thinking that Oregon's being picked on or something, I, I just think there's a lot of bad, uh, refereeing going on in Pac-12 football. I, yeah. I watched most of the USC um, Oregon State game and yeah. it, it, the USC held there. Yeah. USC held there. USC yeah. held there. That was pass yeah, interference. Was, well, was, why isn't USC getting called for this? It's I mean, crazy. I mean, Oregon State's defensive line was just chewing up USC's offensive line and they, they you know, whenever that happens, it should be generating a bunch of holding flags. Like, even if I didn't watch that game, if I just knew the number of scrambles, I, you can generally predict the number of holding flags that come out of it because there's a there's a correlation between those two. Um, and, you know, in that game, the number of scrambles versus the number of holding flags was a much higher number um, than, than the general... St- uh, you know, trend would predict. Uh, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's enough uh, complaining about that. We're doing a lot of complaining for, for a blowout win. Um, yeah. yeah I, my article about uh, uh, doing film study on Arizona will be published on Friday morning. Uh, you know, I've already done all the film study on it, but I have yet to do my podcast interview with Adam Green of uh, AZ Desert Swarm, uh, one of our sister sites uh, on the SB Nation network. We're recording that on Tuesday. Tuesday, so it should be out either or excuse me on Thursday so that should either be out on Thursday night or Friday morning um, and it'll be you know linked as part of my article on Friday morning with my you know film study preview of uh, Arizona and I believe we're going to do the Q&A publishing um, with AZ Desert Swarm that you're doing I think we're going to publish that on Saturday morning of the game because it's a, it's a late game it's a 6 p.m. kickoff against um, Arizona in Tucson um, which good night game in the desert good good idea um, 
so yeah, uh, looking forward to the game, looking forward to our coverage, uh, looking forward to what you and AZ does reform have to say. Um, I think yep. we should, the, the site yeah, is going to do a great job of this game that Oregon is definitely going to lose in the desert. Cause you know, flipping Tucson, man, you know? Yeah. Um, we'll find out, uh, on Saturday morning what the consensus is from the Arizona side of things. Mm. Uh, of course I'll, I'll have, um, their answers to my questions and uh, a link to my answers to their questions on their site. So fun fact, a little bit of reading on Saturday. Oregon has not won in Tucson since 2011. Mm -hmm. Now that they've only played twice since 2011, (laughs) but both of them were losses. Um, Both of them were kind of screwy losses against, you know, teams that Oregon was better than. Um, So like, yeah, why, why don't you uh, do your due diligence reader and or listener and, and read up these articles because it should be good for you. Uh, uh, all right, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, thanks for joining me, uh, Badwater. You got any parting words of wisdom? Uh, just go Ducks, beat Arizona. Get, right. get another bugaboo off our back. All right, take care, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.